The Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Ken Mugridge. Ken is a tech principal for the office of the CTO at ThoughtWorks. He's passionate about continuous delivery and DevOps. He's now focused on future tech. Welcome, Ken. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Ken, uh, before we get started into so more of the meat of the podcast, would you give our listeners a little introduction to yourself, you know, maybe tell them how you got started uh, working in the industry and maybe even going further into uh, DevOps? Yeah, sure. So a um, little bit non-traditional, but um, I was a junior system administrator 30 um, some years ago <laughs> uh, at one of Seattle's first internet service providers. And we had uh, the stereotypical Unix senior system administrator that you'd picture. Um, and he said, hey, this new web thing came out. It's not going anywhere, but someone's <laughs> got to learn it. I'm not wasting my time. You do it. So that was kind of a uh, you know, big career thing that you don't know at the time, number one. Um, 10, 15 years later, I was working as an engineering manager and really frustrated with things like time to market. And we're saying, okay, we want to make a change to our application. And it's two weeks worth of effort. And I know that's not a real number, but you know, <laughs> worth of effort to uh, to do that. And then three weeks to re-record all the test scripts. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard you know, to get stuff to market. ThoughtWorks was doing some work around that. So I joined ThoughtWorks um, almost 12 years ago now. Uh, and one of my first meetings was sitting down with a guy by the name of Jez Humble, who mm. said, we're about to publish this book called Continuous Delivery, which, you know, it means to address a lot of the things that, that you're talking about that you're frustrated with. So so I learned Continuous Delivery from Jez just before the book came out. So that was kind of career thing number two. So I got very passionate in that, got involved in the DevOps audience. Um, I think there's a very big difference between DevOps and Continuous Delivery, which I imagine we'll get into. Um, and that kind of led to today where I'm doing mostly, I, I work for the office of the CTO, mostly working on our forward-looking tech strategy. Like what are the trends today and how is that going to affect us down the, down the road? That's very cool. Um, so what are you working on these days? Yeah, it really is around strategy and research. Um, it's kind of like bleeding edge technologies. Like I'm, I'm working on some work right now about uh, what we're calling evolving interactions, which I can't say too much about. Um, but it's, it's, it's really kind of cool. It's fun. It's, it's how, you know, what's, what's AR VR going to look like um, from a strategy perspective and a business applicability stand perspective and that sort of thing. Um, something that we do at ThoughtWorks every couple of years, uh, just really, really lucky to have gotten a place in the you know, CTO's office, which to me, a CTO is supposed to be forward looking. It's not, you know, how is our technology today and the architecture, but it's what will it be? Um, so it's a bit of a dream job, to be honest. Don't, don't, they pay me for it. Don't tell them that they probably wouldn't have to. Very nice. And I, I saw that you, you, uh, you were being active on Twitter the other night, uh, when I was, uh, also, uh, doom scrolling through, through my Twitter feed and, and catching up on, on the, uh, the tech Twitter feeds. One of, one of your tweets kind of caught my eye. It looked like someone was asking 
what the worst job title that you've ever come across was. And, and your answer piqued my interest. And you want to maybe address that and, and we'll kind of carry on from there? Yeah. So um, I, re- I replied to it or I retweeted it, I guess. And, and I know the original poster fairly well. And so a little bit, admittedly, was a bit of an inside joke. Um, <laughs> but I said DevOps engineer because those people that know me and have been around, you know, my friends in the, in the industry know that I, that I despise that title. I got in a little bit of trouble. Uh, trouble might be a severe word, but <laughs> I did a presentation at a you know, year or two ago saying uh, the danger of DevOps certifications. I just have this strong feeling that it's not a job title, which I imagine we'll get into. But the thing that I also said in that tweet that I think is important is to not confuse like how you implement something with necessarily like career and branding and that sort of thing. So I said, you know, if the title that you want to use for your skill set is DevOps engineer and you're, you're developing special tools that you know, are, are skills around that, uh, then so be it. It's a marketable title. It's it's people hire for that and so forth. But please don't turn into the silo. There should be no department of DevOps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm won't, not the first one to say it, and I don't know how to properly credit it, but building another silo is not a solution for silos. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I've I've been working with a number of different clients in the last few years and and trying to get them up to speed and 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 being somewhat successful um or, or you know sometimes successful depending on your your level of success or your definition of success. But a lot of the clients that I, I've come across, a lot of the companies that I've spoken with and and heard horror stories of from the industry are, you know, things like we have stand-ups, so we're agile. Uh, we we heard about DevOps, so we assembled a team. They're in building seventy-four. Those are the types of things that that just make me cringe because these these terms, these these ideas, were something that came about to help solve a problem and make us develop faster, deliver better quality sooner, faster feedback, and go from there. And I think that's really the key. I mean, if you look back to um, even the folks that originated the term DevOps, what they started out saying was agile infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a birds of the feather session twelve years ago. It, uh, you know, it, it, they weren't talking about it as a as a separate thing. It was just okay. Can we bring these agile learnings to to infrastructure and other things? Because if we're honest, we look at agile. Agile was supposed to you know deliver software faster, but in reality, what we were doing is at the end of each iteration or sprint or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we were demonstrating features, and many still are, to a product owner or a customer advocate of some sort. And that's important, but it, we weren't actually delivering to customers. We weren't giving it into the hands of users and getting real feedback. Um, we still had release cycles and, okay, yeah, we're doing iterative development, but it still only comes out every six months or longer, or whatever it happens to be. You know, so part of me, I see continuous delivery as fulfilling what Agile had promised originally, um, and just didn't quite get to. So then also the other thing you see a lot is this concept, you know, around DevOps, um, that you build it, you run it thing. The quote that came out of Amazon, it comes from an InfoQ interview that the CTO of Amazon had, uh, I think in 2006. And they said, you build it, you run it. Now, a lot of people have taken that phrase and meant to that to be like no ops or we're going to reduce mm. our ops overhead or, you know, what have you. Um, but it's out of context. If you read the context of the interview, the reason they did that was to put the development teams closer to the customer so that mm-hmm. they could say, I changed a feature and sales went up or down. 
or uh, you know, performance went up or down or whatever it happens to be, whatever their measures are. They didn't do it to get rid of ops. They didn't do it to give developers pagers. They did it to get closer to business feedback. Yeah, but I think history has shown that if you can turn something into a catchphrase, uh, business will pick it up like, you know, <laughs> like it's going out of business or going out of style and they will throw it around like crazy. Yes. That that being said, what would you say your maybe definition, a better, a good definition for DevOps? How, how would you sort of define that? Um, and then I, after you do that, I may want to push back a little bit. Uh, because I also had held that position that I really hated the term DevOps engineer, but I've softened from from that view. And so maybe you can kind of uh, you know talk me back the other direction. But yeah, what what is your um, sort of definition of DevOps? Yeah, so um, I'm actually going to read it to you because I wrote one, and I did <laughs> not. I want to be clear about this. I didn't write one because I know better than you. Okay, mm-hmm. I wrote my own definition of DevOps because. Uh, rightfully so, and for many reasons, the people that came up with the word refused to. They said, no, I'm not going to define made-up words, okay? (laughs) Right. But at the same time, I was out there trying to teach people about these concepts and so forth, and it became clear to me that I needed to, at the beginning of giving a presentation or conversation, say, this is my definition of DevOps. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to agree with it, not to, you know, what have you. If you do, that's great. But so that for the rest of our conversation, when I say DevOps, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it is a culture where people, regardless of title or background, work together to imagine, develop, deploy, and operate a system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have a longer thing that breaks down some of those words, but, you know, it's regardless of title or background. So QA or dev or compliance or system administrator or what have you, it's a cross-functional team that is Mm -hmm. doing these. Uh, And they're working together to come up with what should the system be doing, so imagine it. Mm -hmm. Uh, creating the system, developing it, deploying it, getting it out there into production, and then operating it. And so it really is that cross-functional team. Uh, It doesn't mean that there's not platform teams and compliance. and It doesn't mean that everybody is on a product team. I don't think that's really reasonable. Uh, But to me, that's what DevOps is. DevOps isn't about automation. Automation makes a lot of that easier. Mm -hmm. But DevOps is about cross-functional ownership of a thing. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, definitely agree with that um, definition, and I think it's a pretty good one. So, although you weren't trying to necessarily get me to agree with that, <laughs> I think I think that. So, where my my hesitations are around that term, DevOps engineers, definitely has been the fact that you could sort of have a department of DevOps almost, or mm-hmm. a, you know, this sort of like you guys are talking about that siloed nature. Um, where I've kind of softened on on it is I've actually, as I've done more or sort of functioned as that DevOps expert in a dev in a cross-functional team, mm-hmm. um, it's I think that is where it becomes a pretty good thing because even though, even though like most everyone else is not really I'm working on the test the automation the build automation and the you know automating of the, all the resources and those sort of things, uh, and there seems to be a need for someone to take that mantle. Uh, and in that team, and it and it makes sense that there would be one person because uh, when when the team is left to their own devices, if you will, maybe maybe there is someone who, who will will take that mantle, and that's great. But if they don't know 
if they don't know where to go or they don't know the direction to lead, then they just sort of end up mm-hmm. sort of spinning their wheels and don't have that direction. So, so to me, like that's where I've softened on the idea of having a DevOps engineer as a part of a development team, just in the same way you might have a QA person or a business BA and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, the, in, in a cross-functional team, you're going to have people that have more knowledge about different parts of your system. And, and I mean, another phrase I'm not crazy about is the whole idea of a full stack developer. You know, I mean, it's, the stack goes from kernel to, you know, Android device or whatever. So, you know, having people on that cross-functional team that have specific specialties, absolutely. Not everyone is going to do, I mean, if everyone's learning enough about Kubernetes to write Helm charts, that's a bad thing. You're not (laughs) focusing on your business. Right, right. Absolutely. But hopefully, because it is still cross-functional, they understand the impact of things like design decisions to Mm -hmm. your ability to deploy and operate that system and the resiliency and all that kind of stuff. Um, because you can voice it as you're doing things and so forth. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of things like pairing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if someone's working on a new part of technology and they're saying, okay, we're going to deploy a new service or a message queue or name your thing, doesn't matter what it is. Um, Hopefully they're pulling you over and saying, okay, if we do it this way, is that going to be okay? And you can say, oh, no, 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 no. That's, you know, yes, it would work. We would get, you know, user acceptance, you know, et cetera. Uh, but that's going to have these unintended side effects uh, that I know about because I've spent time studying and researching and learning these things. Uh, and that way they don't have to become, you know, Kubernetes expert, mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. also not just deploying a thing or, you know, building a thing and th- putting it on a file system and having somebody else's pipeline deploy it. And they don't know why. Yeah, no, I agree with that one hundred percent, and and um, uh, I I think it, yeah, it it makes no sense for everyone to become experts in writing Helm charts, like like you said. But at the same point, you don't want to lose that that uh, ability for them to be unfamiliar with a Helm chart, right? Like they want to be, you want to maybe maybe someone else can fill in for you, or you know, because that's again what cross functional means is that you'll have picked up some of their skill set, they'll pick up some of your skill set, and really i think i what i really appreciate about your tweet is that emphasis on basically that this devops and your definition that this devops is is so much about the culture of that cross collaboration and cross cutting nature of it so how do we avoid the problem of silos and and or god forbid the problem with gatekeeping how can we be more collaborative? How can we break down the, those silos? How can we be more cross-functional? So to me, that's where, I mean, you know, first of all, it is a cultural thing, but, and from a, by when, when I said culture in the definition my definition of DevOps, excuse me, I'm talking about team structure, you know, org chart type cult, you know, but there's also culture of, is it a, uh, there's the Western model, I think a generative model, et cetera, where am I encouraged to experiment and so forth? Or is it a blame culture? Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing about DevOps that fix a blame culture. There's nothing about DevOps that's going to fix an organization that wants to CYA the whole time. And, you know, the department of no, if you will, which could be any one of the departments you just talked about. Um, They're just going to say no, 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 because if it doesn't change, then it won't break and it's not their fault and, you know, et cetera. Um, we have to move that to a culture of innovation. Uh, there's been a number of studies that have come out that have said the most effective teams or the most effective 
uh, attribute of a team is psychological safety. The ability to try something, fail, not worry about it, try something again, experiment, um, et cetera. So where our topic can help with that is around the automation. And to me, that's where continuous delivery comes in. I believe that a, a product team should have a path where they make a change, whether it be source code, configuration, data model, whatever. And if everything passes, that change ends up in production. Now, I do want to differentiate between continuous delivery and continuous deployment. To me, the, the things that, it, that are done are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. The difference is, does somebody make a business decision to push a deploy button or not? Um, so continuous deployment, if the pipeline, everything passes, it's in production. It, it's in front of customers. Uh, continuous delivery, it always could be. You could push the button at any time, but we're going to decide when we want to do that. And so one of the example I use the most to talk about that is if you're doing a web app and stuff and continuous deployment makes sense. If you're creating Photoshop and you move to a model where every change becomes a download, I'm going to get very angry with you. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it becomes a business decision. So then what you want to look at is the pipeline. And so what people then say is, okay, there are automated tools for doing compliance and security and all these things. So where do they go in my pipeline? Do I run them before my functional tests or after my functional tests or, you know, et cetera? I'm a big fan of doing work in parallel whenever you can uh, in all things. I, I like a model where the people who are the experts in security and compliance, for example, they're never going to be on your cross-functional team. I'm not saying you won't be aware um, the the whole shift left of get more security expertise on the product teams is vital. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're never going to be hardcore security experts. What if they had their own pipelines and every time you change something? So let's say that, well, I mean, today everything's Docker, right? <laughs> uh, so I create a new Docker image, whatever it ha- happens to be. And then so you're, you're, the product team's pipeline picks that image up and starts to do the things, whatever those things are, unit testing, functional tests, performance, whatever they are. But at the same time, the security team's pipeline picks up that thing and does the scans that they want to and so forth. But then at the end, we have a a, um, declared um, dependency. Think of it like a diamond dependency where when they both passed, then we can deploy into whatever our higher risk environment is. You know, maybe that's a DMZ, maybe that's production, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that way, those those pipelines, those tests get run on every project every time but it's still not slowing the development team's pipeline down. They don't have to wait to run their functional tests for the security tests to run, because that's going to happen in parallel. Um, and if they have long running tests, like if there are performance or what have you, or compliance tools where you don't have enough licenses to run them all, all the time, because that's certainly a thing, um, then maybe every build can't get to production because I, the, you know, my pipeline, my product team pipeline is going to run twice for every once that the performance test pipeline runs because it has long running soak tests or something. Uh, that's still okay because the latest that passes everything is what's going to get to the customers. Uh, so they don't have to be linear. Then that can give you a safety net. You know, I mean, to me, the ultimate pipeline is the, the feeling of safety where I, I'm not worried about deploying on a Friday or whatever it happens to be, because I have very high confidence that's passed everything I can. Um, Now that said, and I know I'm rambling a little bit, but that said, automation is not 
is a replacement for humans. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are security people, there are compliance people, there's QA people, etc., that have an expertise that you're never going to automate. Yep. To find that edge case to to do the uh, the the security scans and do the actual penetration testing and you know those kinds of things, but it can be out of band. And if they find something that can become a backlog item, you know, given it where you rate its severity and priority and all of those kinds of things, you know, so there's no reason you can't have manual uh, exploratory type things going on, testing or whatever they happen to be. They don't have to be gates. They don't have to be blocks to production. If when you catch something, it becomes a regression test and now it's part of your automation suite, et cetera. Um, so those people are not out of a job. If now they get to focus on the things that set them apart instead of typing the same 10 commands out of an Excel spreadsheet every time. I think it's a great point. The The need for for good QA and the automation does not does not remove that. You absolutely need that expertise. I, I think it's a great the great way of saying it is to say that it sort of elevates and it exposes what makes them so special and, and so important to the team. Right. Um, and so that that's really fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've worked with a number of different companies trying to help increase and improve their automation so that we can free up those individuals to do the the highly beneficial, the highly skilled tasks that we need their expertise for. We want to automate away the mundane, the error prone, the repetitive, because that they're not delivering the amount of value as much as they would if they were focusing on the exploratory and and defining the things that can be automated. As to deployment and, and releases and, and things like that, we, we also didn't even cover uh, the ability to deploy things and put them behind feature flags. So we can push stuff out and make sure that we've got our pipeline set up, make sure that we can deliver the things we're working on and maybe not even turn them on or maybe turn them on for a select few and, and get that feedback from the, the most important individuals that can provide the feedback we need to be able to improve the, the features that we're delivering. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of feature flags. Uh, I, I like to say, and again, didn't come up with this, but don't confuse deploy with release. So, you know, deploy is it's out there, it's on production, it's running, you know, I can test it, verify it, whatever. Release is my customers can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like there's models that a lot of organizations use uh, to use feature flags to change who's going to see it first. So maybe only employees see it first and it can, can if, you know, because less business risk if they find an issue um, and then et cetera. Um, the one thing I don't see I, enough of for my taste in using feature flags and stuff is AP testing that tests business efficacy. So not does it work, not <laughs> did it, you know, run out of memory, but did our sales go up or down? You know, so let's do a canary release. Let's release this to 5% of our audience and see if that 5%, if our if our business metrics got better or worse. And if they got worse, turn it off, take it out. Uh, you know, we, we're, we, sometimes I think as developers and development teams, we're fixated on this is our thing that we created. And now I have to nurture it and I might have to change it a little bit, but it's my thing. No, it's not your thing. It's a, it's a piece of intellectual property for your business that if it's not making your business better should be destroyed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you, you mentioned Docker containers. We've gone to the mechanism that if if a thing isn't working anymore, we can destroy it. We're not caring and feeding for pets anymore. We're we're producing and, and releasing cattle out there. We should maybe treat our software the same way. Is that is that kind of the gist of where we're going? That the software that we wrote and delivered didn't provide the value we were hoping for it to recoup. And so we need to cut bait and, and try try something else. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. Um, like for anyone that's not familiar, one of the other co-authors of the book, Continuous Delivery, is Dave Farley. And he has a, a, a thing on YouTube right now where you subscribe and see. I love the way he puts it, where um, it's a scientific method. And that's what continuous delivery enabled. And that's what having DevOps em- em- empowered teams enabled, is the ability to experiment, to have a theory about something that you think is going to have a certain effect. Maybe that's make your, maybe it's sell more things, whatever it is, you have a theory. And now you have to be able to test that theory and only testing it internally where people have that certain expectation and biases and that kind of stuff is not an accurate test. It's not a big enough sample size for the scientific method. So the scientific method is then put it out and accept that most of the time you're going to be wrong. Uh, don't assume it's going to work and then f- have to find an excuse to turn it off. Um, it is an experiment. Uh, don't spend three weeks trying to research how a feature should work. Come up with a theory, test it. If it doesn't work, get rid of it. Do you think that this is because maybe just the business isn't caught up with this? Because I feel like uh, a lot of times like teams can they can sort of add Agile, they can add agile infrastructure, uh, right? DevOps, and they can even own the ability to deploy to production, get the business approval to like actually deploy that out there. But the business itself isn't really even maybe showing it to users. Like I've been a part of businesses that even though we're delivering and customers could be taking advantage of it, they even may be seeing it, seeing like their, their apps may be changing under their feet, but the businesses haven't even they're not even going to talk about a release to the customers with, you know, four, six months later. Uh, and so maybe it's just like businesses haven't caught up. And by the time, you know, six months down the road when they're like, okay, we're now we're ready to release this. We're ready to tell customers we've already released this. The dev team's already moved on to the next project and the next thing that they're working on. And there wasn't even an opportunity for that loop to feedback loop to happen. Now, when we get that feedback, it's like another six months before that information comes back into it. And it's like the business is sort of getting let the let down here, I feel like. Yeah. And I'll be, I'll be honest, I don't have a, a great solution for that. I mean, for roles like marketing or needs such as marketing and so forth, continuous delivery and DevOps are, are a big challenge because it used to be one of the advantages to the long release cycles is the ability to have an event mm-hmm. you know uh you know apple has events where they talk about here's the new iphone here's the new you know whatever it happens to be they do continuous delivery and such and i have no inside knowledge never worked for <laughs> apple or whatever okay so but they, they're doing continuous delivery and keeping things in a releasable state where like if there's something they have to release if they, you know security fix or whatever they can quickly but they've made the business decision that they're going to do big bang releases so that they can create excitement and thing and that is completely reasonable i, I have nothing against do, you know doing continuous delivery and having it that way just know what you're doing and know that that's why you're doing it um the other thing people often forget to do is training for sales and support 
Mm-hmm. So I have this great new feature that we did to drive business. And if we're not talking about like a consumer web app where I can tell right away, because, you know, if I change something on an e-commerce site, I can tell if changing the, the where the button is on the page had an impact because it's shoppers. And they're the, hopefully if you're successful, they're there all the time. That's not the same as some of the larger uh, you know commercial off the shelf software or what have you, where if the salespeople aren't educated about the benefits of this kind of thing. They're not going to go after those markets. People aren't going to buy it for that reason. So uh, I I called support on uh, a product the other day and asked them a question and their answer was just plain wrong. Um, (laughs) Just because they hadn't, I mean, not their fault. They just hadn't been trained on it. So I think we forget about that. When we talk about DevOps continuous delivery, we forget about this, that these are, this is organizational delivery. This isn't just delivery of a Docker container. I, I, I am delivering, hopefully, business value, and everybody involved with realizing that value has to be involved. And it sounds like maybe clarifying the definition of done to include the the script for the support staff on that are manning the frontline phones, uh, the the marketing materials. If you're doing a big bang release, uh, must must include all of the the latest and greatest verbiage to that covers all the new features. Yeah, I know that I was a product manager for one of our continuous delivery products for a while. And that's exactly what we said. You know, it's, it is, it's the documentation, it's the sales materials, it's the marketing materials, it's, you know, even blog posts that were done in advance, maybe adding a thing that says, hey, this was updated to re- reflect new change or what have you. All of that is part of a go-to-market. Yeah, at the, at the company I work for, we've had kind of a, I guess, of a, a field of dreams transformation. So we added testing and the business didn't change anything. We added um, DevOps engineers and we got uh, continuous uh, builds going and the business didn't change anything. We added continuous delivery options and the business didn't change anything. We added continuous deployment for most of our products and the business didn't change anything. And then after, after we've added all of these things, feature flags and all that stuff for over two years, now the business is finally starting to to take advantage of some of that. And it just, they didn't understand it until they would ask us for something. We're like, yeah, it's already done. Yeah. That, and that's a big thing that you're hitting on there. Um, I'm not waiting for words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's that building that trust. You know, I can say that, uh, you know, it wasn't all that long ago in the realm of things uh, in technology, it's been an eon, but in the realm of things where, uh, you know, the business, when they said these are our requirements, they might get it in six or 12 months and it may or may not be what they wanted. And the market <laughs> conditions may not be, you know, so they don't trust the organ, you know, the, the technical organizations to deliver, to be able to deliver the things they want. They feel like, and this is, you know, the whole agile thing, they feel like they have to write out all the requirements and tell you everything up front, because if they don't, then something's going to get left out and you're never going to be able to do it. And sometimes you can artificially create these, but if there's a, Something that happens or something you can react to where they say, oh, my gosh, we got plunged into a global pandemic. You know, (laughs) we need to be able to have curbside pickup. There were retailers who had that in days and there were retailers who had that in months. Now, I don't recommend starting pandemics. It hasn't been a whole lot of fun. (laughs) Okay, but my point is that sometimes you have to. Whatever the event is, you have to prove to them that, no, I really can. When I say that we want to be, you know, big A agile, I mean it. You told us you wanted this thing. We've been building it. You told us that the business has changed. We're not going to get insulted about our baby that's half done. 
we're going to pivot because we trust that you know the business just like you trust that we know the Kubernetes. If you can show that and you can build that trust and say that we will pivot when you tell us you need to pivot, then it becomes habit. Uh, but it does, it's it's nothing you can't, you can't prescribe it. The, the CIO can't say, thou shalt be agile. It does not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and the devs screaming for it doesn't work either. Everyone involved has to work towards it. And, you know, in a lot of cases that can take several years. In our case, it's taken five years and we're still, there's just still a lot of rough spots. So if there weren't, companies like mine wouldn't have a big market. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good point that you've got to build that trust. You've got to show that that you can deliver timely. Uh, you can deliver the value that's being requested. And I would argue that those companies that were able to pivot so quickly and, and react so well to to the devastating circumstances during the, this pandemic were the ones that had a lot of their policies and procedures in place. They were able to to react very quickly because they don't they weren't historically a reactive company they were a proactive company they had the mechanisms in place that allowed them to pivot quickly i should say the mechanisms and the tech stacks in agile especially in continuous delivery we've often said okay we're going to convert the things that we that we update the most often to use these methodologies because we update them often and that way they're they're really big advantage but maybe we should also be thinking about the things that are the most critical even if they don't update really often. Uh, like I live in the state of Washington. Um, our unemployment system just crashed. And the tech stack was such that updating it and expanding it was very, very difficult. Because why would you update it? I mean, the basics of what, I mean, the, the numbers might change, the formulas might change, but the basic of what the systems do hasn't changed in decades. But if we had considered from a tech deck our perspective, our perspective, our ability to respond to a problem or a change in our most critical infrastructure, um, even if it doesn't normally change often. We might want to look at those investments again. And before hitting record, I think you were mentioning that you're also involved in the DevOps days in your local area or, or maybe even nationally. How has the pandemic affected things? Are, are there still DevOps days happening? Yeah, uh, there are. Uh, it has affected it massively. So I um, was part of the Seattle team for the last five or so years, um, and I've been on the global core team, which is kind of advisory to the others for the last few years. Seattle was, I think, the first one to cancel. Uh, ours was scheduled for April. I ran a different conference called Delivery Conf in January, and then we were looking at, okay, what's going to happen here, um, you know, safety, you know, et cetera. And we're like, we don't want to go down the road of taking sponsorship dollars and selling tickets and, you know, et cetera. So we're just going to call it now. So it's like Seattle completely canceled. One of the unique things about DevOps days is that they are run by local teams. The global advisory group is just that advisory. Uh, I mean, there are some rules that you, you have to, has to be not for profit and some other things in order to get on the website, if you will. Uh, but each city or each region makes their own decisions. So many of them have gone virtual. Um, Chicago did a very successful, uh, there's several others, but Chicago specifically did a very successful virtual event a couple of months ago. Uh, there's some other cities that are looking at it combining into larger regional things next year. Um, there's some significant challenges. Uh, you know, these are, they're community driven conferences. Um, and so most of the costs involved 
were paid by sponsors. Now, for physical conferences, obviously, the costs are much higher than for virtual. And so there's a lot of questions about how do you how do you, how do sponsors who, by the way, I consider incredibly important parts of the community, not just because uh, they paid for stuff, but because you know I want they're driving the technology a lot of times. You know, you look at some of the stuff in the infrastructure as code space. I want to hear from them as to what they're working on and what's next and that kind of stuff. And they've lost their stage completely because a lot of the virtual conferences have set up like come here and talk to our sponsors or what have you. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not at all saying that sponsors shouldn't do that. They should, but the truth is they haven't got the traction that I wish they'd gotten. Mm. Um, too many, too often we look at sponsors of things and say, and Dallas is just one example and say, Oh, they're just, it's just salespeople wanting to sell me a thing. It's like, that might be part of it, but they're also the ones that are out there trying to push the market and stuff. And people should spend their time going to those. Uh, so the devopsdays.org website is where the individual cities and regions update what they're doing and what their plans are. Uh, it varies widely, but the show is still going on. So speaking of uh, DevOps days and, you know, what what uh, resources might you point people to who are trying to maybe understand what DevOps is about? Uh, maybe they are a part of a team uh, and they're trying to say, like, how can we improve ourselves? How can we, you know, become more agile, sort of realize um, those that ability to deliver to the user faster um, and more effectively? Um, so wh- where where might you direct them? My first answer is going to be one that you probably aren't going to expect. There's a book, and I want to get the title right. Uh, the author co-authored, but one of them is Dr. Linda Rising, and it's called Fearless Change. It's not a technical book. It's not about DevOps. I, I, there's no Kubernetes in there, but it's driving <laughs> cultural change, and it's a patterns book. It's you know here's how here's how you can get um, evangelists to your idea. Here's how you can get build bridges to, or, to parts of the organization that may not otherwise be receptive, here's, et cetera. Because changing that and understanding how to make it a win-win for everybody, that's the hard part, okay? Um, and Dr. Rising has done, she's all over YouTube, et cetera. Uh, she's several, doing talks on this, on this topic. There's lots and lots of good material out there because that's the hard part. Kubernetes is easy compared to people. I, I'm still a big fan of the continuous delivery book. It came out in 2010, uh, but it's not like specific about a particular um, type of technology or whatever. It's about keeping everything recent, et cetera, um, which, as I mentioned, uh, Dave, Dave Farley, one of the authors, has gotten really active this year uh, on YouTube in a channel. So, and I highly recommend all of his, all of his, his content. Uh, the other one I'll give a plug to is a couple friends that wrote a thing called Team Topologies, Matthew Skelton and Manuel Pais. Um, it, it's about the different types of teams and platform teams versus product teams. And I don't want to, I'm going to mess it up if I go into too much detail. But if you if you search for Team Topologies, you'll see talks and books and, and, and so forth. Uh, highly recommend. Because again, it's all about how the teams are set up and everything else. The automation's relatively easy. Yep. Um, so don't get caught up in this pipeline tool or that pipeline tool. I used to be a product manager for one of the tools. It's just a tool. Tools don't solve problems. All right. And, uh, as we wrap up, uh, what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their careers? I think the number one thing is to understand the technology is just part of the puzzle. So I have a thing where I say, you know, the best technology rarely wins. 
you know, I'm going to show my age here, but I had a Betamax video recorder. I had a next step workstation, which the little thing Steve Jobs went off to in between Apple stints. Uh, I used OS2 on through history. The best technology that didn't have the right go to market or the right whatever else around it. I'm not going to, I'm not a business expert. I'm not going to try to predict it. So understand as a technologist that you're an important part of the thing, but you're not the thing. You can write the best software in the world, but if you don't get it exposed to users, if you don't meet the user's needs, you know, have good user experience, uh, be careful about their data and their privacy, uh, respect their needs and so forth, that it's not going to be successful. You have to look at the whole picture. Awesome. Where, where can our listeners go to follow you and keep a, a sort of up with what you're working on? So um, I go between active and inactive on Twitter is probably the best place. Um, it's just first initial last name uh, is my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, but I, I admit I don't really do much there. Uh, so probably Twitter. I'm trying to make a, a point of getting more active and, and providing real resources. Some of the research that we're doing, that's going to get published here in the next month or two. Um, so I try to do stuff there. I try to answer questions when I can. Um, so feel free to, to if people have questions to reach out. Uh, my DMs are semi open. I have to see them and approve <laughs> them, but I will get it. It won't get it won't get ignored. Uh, so that's probably the best method. All right, Ken. Well, thanks a lot. Really appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Ken Mugridge. Ken is tech principal for the office of the CTO at ThoughtWorks. He's passionate about continuous delivery and DevOps. He's now focused on future tech. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev and catch us each week on Twitch. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 